last six months probably, I am hours a day into this, making sure I got it before I dare teach it because I don't want to teach something that I don't believe in, first of all. And here's really what I've understood is um, the early church fathers, well, let me let, watch this video. This guy, this guy uh, he, he's an author of a book that's incredible called Hope Beyond Hell. If you want to, is there a hell? Yes, but it, it's not what, what we've been taught in Western evangelical Basically, the Latin church, the Western church taught this, and the Eastern church never taught it. The early church fathers never taught. They taught a correction. It was remedial. That was, it was, uh, you would go through the fires, but it wasn't forever and ever and ever, because that's just, I, I think in our, none of us would do that to somebody. You know, when I was at the Air Force Academy, I remember when we were going through, um, uh, when we were going through, it's this, this survival training, they actually had the simulated, um, prison camps and different things, and, and they would share with us, you know, if you, ever, if you ever become a prisoner of war, these are the kind of, the, the torture that people are going to do to you, and I remember even at the time kind of just getting unsettled about that, going, gosh, the depth of humanity, I would never do that to somebody, even if they were the enemy, I would just never do that to somebody, some of the torture techniques they do, and just how vile and evil, yet somehow we're supposed to believe in an unconditionally loving God that would do that forever for somebody, and it's just never fit. And uh, I think now, now that I've, I've really studied out and understand it, I go, oh, if we can unravel certain things that crept into the Western church, all scripture starts to make sense to me. And we don't have to make up things. And so this guy, Gary Bocheman, wrote this book called Hope Beyond Hell. If you really want to see what our early church fathers thought, what they taught, actually in the, in the seminaries, there were, there were basically six seminaries, this whole idea of unending punishment where God was going to torture somebody forever really didn't come into the church for the first 600 years. And you don't have to believe me. I'm not asking you to believe me in anything. I'm, I've just studied it enough now that I, I'm confident I can go teach that anywhere. And I can go debate anybody and go, guys, it's, you can't refute this. This is, what, this is our church history. Now the challenge is, most of us grew up in the West, so we grew up, how many guys grew up with the King James Bible? And it's infallible, right? It's actually a lot of, there's a lot of faults in it that, that uh, and I know, gosh, I'm, even saying this in the United States, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for the fire and brimstone in their mind from all the seminaries and everything else. I go, guys, it's just reality. Is the Latin church created the Latin Vulgate. Um, and then you know what the King James was translated out of? Not the Greek and Hebrew. The King James was translated out of the Latin Vulgate. And so the Latin church, with, really with Constantinople, and, the, and they, they come in and uh, so they're like, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna, when it was changed from Greek to Latin, this eon, this age, was turned into for an age to eternity. Where it says punishment for an age, they changed it everlasting punishment. And we're going to go through that a little bit today. So then it just got carried on in the King James, etc. What's really interesting, if you go back to the translations that are literally translated from Greek, there's a lot of good ones out there. Young's Little Translation, Weymouth's, all these that didn't come from the Latin Vulgate. They came from the Greek itself. They never teach everlasting punishment, ever, in any of the Bibles. And so this guy, this, this, if you want to go, this book is fascinating to me. Um, but he was a YWAM uh, missionary for years and years and years, and you can watch his video. So if we can put that up, Jeff, that'd be great. And then we'll, we'll get into this a little bit. During my midterm furlough from being in Senegal, I was visiting with an old friend, also a pastor. Uh, his name is uh, Steve. And um, somehow the subject of salvation and judgment came up. And uh, he started to challenge me about the word eternal. And uh, he was showing me ver various verses throughout the scriptures where eternal just couldn't mean eternal in the sense of forever without every, 
any ending. And uh, then he challenged me about the idea that Hull had a purpose and that, uh, um, you know, the, the verses that relating to that as being eternal wasn't really that being the case. When Steve brought this whole idea to me that hell wasn't forever, then all of a sudden the idea of it, judgment, having purpose, um, caused me to really want to seek this out more. And I asked uh, Steve, I said, do you have anything, uh, anybody that's written on this theme, that's, that uh, things I can, can read? Because I was scheduled to return to Africa within a week. So he gave me a couple booklets and I took them back home with me to Dakar, Senegal. And so over the next months that pursued, I began to eat, read, yeah, eat. I was eating it all right. I was just taking it all in. I was reading a little book by a guy named Andrew Jukes, um, uh, a pastor from back in London, England, back in the 1800s. And it's a little book, only this small, titled The Restitution of All Things. But, and this man who wrote had such a humble attitude, such a, such a great respect for the Word of God, and he just drew me into his writing. And he was presenting a point of view or a theological perspective, if you will, that painted a whole different picture of judgment. And everything was scripture after scripture after scripture. And his grasp of the Old Testament was amazing. And I just couldn't see any flaws, anything that I could point my finger at and everything he taught to say, no, that can't be that. It just resonated as truth, as truth, as truth. And I was just praying, walking you know, in my neighborhood, and the thought came to my mind, if God would save me, why wouldn't he save everyone? You know, what was so special about me that somehow I could go into his presence and eternal life, whereas most of the human race was still gonna have to suffer forever. It was the same blood that was shed for all of us. Even the faith that I had was his gift. So what made me special that I should benefit and everyone did not? And then I thought that, well, you know, how could I really have the true peace to know that I was even one of them, knowing that all these others would not make it? And it was hard to really fully explain what went through in my mind at that moment. But all these thoughts together woven, there was all of a sudden this assurance that flooded my soul. And I just knew that. If God is saving one, he's saving all, or he's saving none. I have a brother that I love very much, and um, he's my older brother. He was an alcoholic, but when my mother died when I was 12 years old, he, um, my, I always used to take accordion lessons. My mother was paying for those lessons for many years. And uh, anyway, she died, and my brother Bob, you know, took over and started to pay for my accordion lessons and he brought me on his uh, in his roofing company and taught me how to do roofing and gave me a job and he gave me my first car and he was really a big brother he was 14 years older than I and so I loved my brother but anyway to make a long story short um, you know when I became an, uh, a born-again believer I would say when I was around 18 I was very evangelical I would tell everybody about Jesus I'd go on street corners I'd yeah, I, did, I was very, very evangelistic. Anyways, I was very evangelistic towards my brother. But he never took to it. And he was always, you know, he had his own way and he didn't want to hear it. And uh, so anyway, I had come to the point where I had written him off. You know, I said, well, you know, he's, he's the last one, whatever. But uh, in his later years, 
Uh, he moved into my neighborhood. I invited him to come and live to, in Texas with us. He, we're from New Hampshire. And, uh, and because at that time in my life, I had come under this perspective, this understanding, that God is never going to give up on anybody. And I saw my brother in a different way that I ever saw him before. I saw good in him that I never saw before. I saw, it was as though, you know, in the old way, it was like the righteous and the evil, the wicked and the righteous. And, and it was somehow, somehow, even though we were taught that um, it's all by grace and we're all deserve hell and all that, in, in reality, there was this, there was this attitude that came into Christianity, into all of us, that we had a sense of superiority against unbeliever. As much as we tried to deny it or acted it as though it wasn't there, for you know, there was almost a sense that, well, God chose me for a reason. I believe, he, he allowed me to believe, or you know, he saw something obviously in me that he didn't see in him, so I'm a believer and he's not. Somehow in, in our thwarted thinking, I think that it's, 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 there's a mixture there somehow. And, uh, but this understanding just changed my whole view of my brother. I began to see him in a way I never saw him before. I might love him. Because you know why? Because I knew that God was never going to give up on him. And I knew that the blood of Jesus applied to him. And I knew that one day he was going to worship Jesus just like I am. And you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of him going to eternal hell anymore, you know? And I just knew it. <laughs> it just changed my life. So I would just share this with you. It's an awesome book. It'll get you to, it'll challenge you. It's called Hope Beyond Hell. And uh, you're enjoying it, aren't you? And so, see, here's the thing. I think um, no matter what you think about it, I really, the more I've studied it out, it's, like I said, for the first 600 years, it wasn't church doctrine that, that uh, you were going to have unending punishment. Like this, the minute you, 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 your last breath on this earth, you're going one way or the other. And it really came from the sheep and the goats and, and Lazarus and the rich man. And, and a couple of verses, once you get those straightened out, which we'll go through some of it tonight, I just think it's going to flood your heart with hope. You, uh, you get way less judgmental about other people, like he just said. And he said, you know what? Uh, in fact, the only people that have really, like in the last two weeks, that get come after me, you know who they are? The religious leaders. Like, I don't, I don't know why they want to send people to hell so badly. It's just weird to me. But those are the same guys that Jesus really had a hard time with, too. And he said, why are you putting these yokes on people that you yourself can't do? So you don't have to believe me, but I'm going to go through some scriptures. And I want to just share something with you. Um, so, if, you know, and Baxter Kruger and all these guys really got me to go dig into this for myself. And, you know, I'd, I'd hear them talk about Athanasius and all these church fathers and Gregory of Nyssa. Uh, where in the Nicene Creed and all these things, I'm like, you know what, I, I remember growing up saying the Nicene Creed, and then you start reading what's going on about that and go, wait a minute, they're right. None of this was there. It really came into the Latin, uh, the Latin Bible when they wanted to, uh, and it really got solidified um, when Constantine made Christianity the national religion. And then what happened right after that? The Dark Ages. They said, nobody can even read a Bible. You can't even read a Latin Bible. So they could just control people. It was a really fascinating thing. I really believe that with all my heart now. Is, is man got into this thing, it's like, hey, we can control people if we can scare them. And they have to, they have to pay penance to the church, etc. And that's where re repentance came in. Instead of metanoia, change your mind. It says, not only enough to pay, but you got to repay. How's that? Keep paying. That's how you're going to get your salvation. And then you guys know what, what happened to the Reformation, etc. But all of it was still out of the Latin Vulgate into the King James. And so, anyway, I just want to share one thing with you a, a little bit. Um, 
the second council, the second church council, so there was, it was in 381 AD, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of bishops from all over the, uh, the known Christianity at that time, they came in and they elected this guy, that president, so his name was Gregory of Nyssa, or Nyssa, I don't know how to pronounce it, N-Y-S-S-A, but uh, uh, so here's the guy who was president of that council, okay, and here's what, <laughs> this is interesting, this is what he believed, he said, Gregory believed in <clears throat> the hopeful inclusion of salvation of all human beings. Gregory argued, so think about this, is all the known bishops, etc., elected him as president, he believed the salvation in all human beings, ultimately. That hell had a purpose. Hell had a restorative purpose there, where I'm not going to leave them in eternal punishment, but I'm going to have them go through the fire, clean out all this, the man-made stuff so that, that nothing's left but silver, gold, and, and uh, uh, jewels. Isn't that fascinating? So all the hay, stubble, etc. So he says... Uh, Gregory argues that when Paul says that God will be all in all, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, that he means that though some may need long time of purification, that's the, the hell, the fire, eventually no, no being will remain outside the number of the saved. By his incarnation, death, and resurrection, Christ achieves the common salvation of human nature. His God's, his God's end is one and one only. It is this, when the complete work, when the complete whole of our race shall have been perfected from the first man to the last, some having at once in this life been cleansed, others afterwards having the necessary periods then healed by fires. We went through a lot of those scriptures that, hey, they're going to get in as if by fire, but they themselves are, are going to be saved. And so, anyway, isn't that fascinating? That that's who the guy that they, uh, uh, then in, in uh, I don't remember where, the next one, when basically in, Const not Constantinople, yeah, it was the next one, is um, they all met again and then that's when really the, the church started to split. And it's fascinating that uh, six out of the, the, the known theology schools, basically, um, four of them believed in inclusive salvation, that all men were in Christ. And it's interesting, so, because I've asked a lot of people now and people that have gone out to seminaries, etc., and I ask them these scriptures, they go, when, when does all not mean all? And there's one of two reactions. One, one is reaction is <clears throat> hopping mad, gnashing of teeth, right? Like, don't screw up my theology. I had this all figured out, and, uh, and I want people to go to hell. It's weird. And then the other ones go, if they're honest, they go, I've never really understood that. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, because this is the only thing that's ever given me peace. Now, I'm not saying that it's all peaches. Like you said, it's, hey, there's a restorative process where, it's a, where, where in Hebrews he talks about no son likes to be chastised or because it's uncomfortable, but it's for our good. We would, you know, as humans, we would call it tough love, right? Sometimes, and if you go look at the Old Testament, uh, every time God took his hand off the nation of Israel, it was never for them to be punished forever. It was always so they would turn their heart back to him. It was always for their benefit, not eternal damnation and punishment. Does that make sense? So let's go through a couple of scriptures. Any questions on that now? Which one? Uh, I don't know if I just talked about the verse, did I? Oh, I'll go through it on here. I'll go through a bunch of them here. That was 1 Corinthians 15, 28, where it says, all will be on all. It's the restitution of all things. And, um, and so here, here, see, here's where we get mixed up in Scripture, in my opinion. The, the, the Scriptures, when they were canonized, when they were put into a Bible, they, how many of you guys know there were not chapters and verses? There were letters. And so when we go, hey, Matthew 25, 46 says eternal damnation or eternal punishment. All of Scripture has to be, in my opinion, you don't you do whatever, but they didn't have verses in there. Like if I wrote her a letter and there was one part in there, one, one sentence in there, but by the end I clarified it, 
Is she going to go, nope, you said this here. In verse 2, whatever. You said this in this paragraph. No, honey. But I cleared it up by the end. You got it at the end, right? But that's how we read the Bible. We take it verse by verse. And I think it's one of the worst ways to ever study the Bible. Because you, get, you miss the whole thing. Jesus comes along and he said, listen, all of you guys in the Old Testament, you know this. You know it front to back. You know it. Yet you cannot find life. He goes, the letter does what to you? Kills, but the spirit does what? Gives life. And so what that means is if you take it literally, a lot of it literally, which we were all taught to do, it'll kill you, right? But if you take, what's the idea behind this? And Jesus said, hey, the correct way to interpret scripture is me. I was the word of God that may, be, that may become flesh. And how many times would Jesus talk to religious leaders and he would say this? He would say something like this. He would go, you've heard it said, and he would quote Old Covenant, right? You've heard it said an eye for an eye, for instance. But let me tell you the correct interpretation of that. But I say, pray for and love your enemies. And this, is, this is really, I, I, I understand this now. Because we would always wonder about this verse. And it says, and when you do that, when you love your enemies... You heap burning coals on their head. I'm like, that's not a lot of love if I take my Weber grill out and I throw burning coals on you, Michael. Like, that's really great. And if we take that literally, how is that love? What he's trying to say is the burning coals, as literally starts to purify them, they're like, wow, they responded in a way different than I would have expected. Any, and he says that. He goes, listen, anybody can love their friends. The real challenge is can you love your enemy? So Jesus always correctly interprets Scripture, and it's never exactly how they had it. You said this, but I say this. You guys get it? All right, so eternal torture or love that never fails. Hey, listen, if you want to believe that uh, you're sending there for somebody else uh, or for eternal punishment, that's fine. I just, it doesn't fit with my, with the, with an unconditional loving father that says love never fails, but it fails for billions of people every year if they, if we didn't get to them in time. I just have a hard time with that. Okay. So let's go through scripture, though, so you know you don't think I'm going off my rocker. That actually goes through. So we can go to that first slide here. So, oh, i got to put my glasses on. I can't read that. So I, I taught this already. Unending punishment was never taught in the original Hebrew and Greek. In fact, if you go to Young's Literal, Weymouth, all the ones that weren't translated out of the Latin, and go to the original Greek, um, you won't find even the word hell in there. It'll say Gehenna. Or Hades or Sheol, like we talked about. I mean, there's a couple, Tartarus and Tehom, a couple Greek ones that came totally from Greek mythology. So when you unravel a couple verses, the scripture gives you rest. I, I can't tell you that. I was, I, I was really fearful of this, to be honest with you. Was, and I'm like, all right, Lord, this isn't my gig anyway. So you're not letting me off this thing. But I, I got more responses from honestly around the world going, thank you, this finally makes sense to me. I can rest. That my grandmother, that how can I love my grandmother better than the unconditional loving father that I would never do that to my grandmother? And I'm like, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So anyway, um, I believe there is, there is correction, there's fire, there's, but the devil doesn't get the fire. Why do we give him the fire? He's a liar. Does that, does that make sense? And it says he had no power whatsoever. All he had to do was use what we have and get us to think the wrong thing, which causes fear in our lives. He's never had power. He never did have power. He never does. He's under your feet. And he's been conquered, um, scriptures of that, and we've got whole ministries running around casting devils and yelling at devils, and I'm like, just stop already, it's, it's over. He said it's victorious, right? <clears throat> so, there is correction, but it's always turned people back to God. Don't you think, if you think about this logically, there were two trees, one does what? 
One causes what? Life. And the other one causes what? Death. Don't you think you, death is a way better deal to me than the rotisserie, yeah, unending torture, which I would never do to somebody. Don't you think if that was man's eternal destiny, that he, they would have warned him of that? I just think that's a good God. That's a loving father. Like, hey, you know what? Don't touch this stove, because if you do touch the stove, I'm going to make you touch it for the rest of your life. He didn't say that. He said, you know what? There's one that's going to cause life, and there's one that's going to cause death. But if you get to the very end of Scripture, what happens to hell and death? It's thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death is what it said. So no matter what you think about it, hell and death die. They end. And then you get to the next verse of Revelation 21, and what's happening? Party time, guys. All nations are there. And if you go look at it, it said, in Genesis, five times he said, all nations will be blessed out of your seed. All. Five times he says it. All. He, that's, he was emphasizing it. And who's the seed? Jesus Christ. Right? Who's the son of man? The seed. It's really fascinating to me. And so by the end, it's, guess what? He restores all things. And I would just ask you this, is this is what never... We, I remember being early Christians, whatever you want to call it, when we were, we were asking all the, the elders and stuff, right? We were feisty, man. We would get in their face because I'm like, well, you're supposed to know it all. You're the elder. I'm just a newbie here, man. I just got my, I, I still have it. I got my student Bible. I'll show you. I went to, it says student on it. It's like, I'm just a student. You're the, you're the pro at this thing. And so you're the elder. Tell me what's going on with this verse. And they're like, well, we don't know. I'm like, well, what good are you? You mean after 40 years, I'm, I'm, I know as much as you? How elder? What? I, I can't know. Well, God just works in mysterious ways. We'll never know. I'm like, that is unacceptable to me. Like, come on, man. Just tell me what parts I'm supposed to believe and what parts I'm not. And the rest, just forget it. Because I don't have time to screw around like you guys do. I'm not in this to have a little Bible study and be cute and tell everybody else they're going to hell. That's not what I want to do. I'm like, my, that means all my friends are going there. And I like my friends. In fact, if I was in a bind, I'd call them, not you. Because then you're just going to do this. I'll pray for you, brother. <laughs> I'm on my own. I'm going to call my buddy. <laughs> that's just, that's, that was my view of, of Christianity. Sorry. And, that, and I think, unfortunately, it's, the, it's really what's true. Because you know what? We've got this exclusion. I'm in the club, you're art. And, and as soon as you say the magic words, then you'll be good like me. I just... That's never settled with me. And so I finally am like, thank you, Lord. I got it. I got it. So anyway, all right. Here's what I believe. We don't need to convert people. It says all men were in Christ before the foundation of the world. We need to convince them of his unconditional love. We don't need to get them. They're in. They're in is what he said. You know what? And this, oh, I forgot to tell you the verses that we'd always ask these guys, that the elders who were supposed to know everything. We'd go, wait a minute. All were in Adam in Romans 5. Doesn't it say that? All were in Adam. All were in Christ. He's trying to show you types and shadows. If the first covenant caused death, the ministry written and engraved on stones caused death. If all of us were in Adam, how many guys had any choice to be born into Adam? And we all accept that gladly. Oh yeah, I'm just a sinner. Yeah, I'm in Adam, I'm a sinner. Yeah, but it says, it, if sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abounded. And it says, all were in Adam, all were in Christ. So can't, how, is, how is God himself not more powerful than a human Adam? How, how did Adam win, get everybody to be a sinner, but Jesus can only get a handful? 
It, nobody could ever answer that to us. And I think because it, it, their whole life they've been taught that that's not possible. And I'm just like, I'm just going gonna, I, I, gonna to make God bigger than I think he is because I'm really not concerned when I get to heaven going, you know what? Um, hey, and if I'm an heir, guess what? His grace super bounds. It's really true, isn't it? Like, let's at least believe what Scripture says versus what the, the theology has taught you. If all were in Adam, all were in Christ. If all died in Adam, all are made alive in Christ, which the Scripture says. Like, let's believe that. Let's believe that Jesus is more powerful than the first Adam, which was just human being. I just believe that with all my heart. So anyway, we don't need to convert them. It says all were in him. You know what? Our, 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 I believe our missions just change drastically and we, we actually start loving people. You start seeing the good in people like, the, like Gary Boshin was talking about. Hey, I started... I stopped pestering my dad, my brother, at Thanksgiving, trying to convert them. And they're looking at Christians' lives going, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. Because you're the most judgmental little turd I've ever met. That's how they look at most Christians, because that's how I looked at my Christian family trying to get me the whole time. I'm like, if your life worked, then I'd listen to you. But you're a mess, and nobody likes you. <laughs> at least people like me. and they, That's how I felt, honestly. You know what I'm talking about. Like, anyway. I got a big family, so they don't know what I'm talking about. All right. I just believe this. We need to stop making God out to be a tyrant, which has caused more people to walk away from the church and Christianity than any other doctrine, in my opinion. Because everywhere I go, I was like, my God wouldn't do that to me. And I'm, now, now I can honestly convincingly go, you're right. You're hearing God because he poured out his spirit on all flesh, and all will know him from the least to the greatest. Everybody knows that just doesn't fit. And so here's Jesus at the very end. Fear not. When you're a little kid and the first time you're ever taught that you're going to go get burned and tortured for the rest of your life, does it give you love and comfort or does it give you fear? And I, I'm really excited about a lot of you guys that have approached me and go, oh, finally. I ch like him, is like, God's going to get him because love never fails. Everybody's going to meet Jesus. That's the judgment seat. And Jesus is unconditional love. And I, I, what if love actually wins? What if it says faith, hope, and love? are great, but the greatest of these is love. My anger lasts for a short time, but my love endures for ever. So anger goes away, unless you didn't say the words before you died, then you're screwed. The heat's up, and you're tortured for the rest of your life. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Now, we believe that, right? Now, what a, that, what a psycho God, if that was it. So fear not, I have the keys of hell and death. So he goes down and conquers hell, right? What scripture says, and he rose victorious, and then in Revelation it says, fear not, don't worry, I got this thing covered, I have the keys of hell and death. Now, if he did all of that to go restore us, redeem us, comfort us, which are all his things, is it comforting the doctrine of eternal torment? Is that comforting to anybody? And he goes, you know what, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you the comforter, and, and if you don't say the words before you're this side of earth, then no more comfort. In fact, it's the opposite of the comfort. It's going to really be bad. Third degree burns the rest of your life. So, I have the keys of hell and death. I really, I really doubt a loving father is going to go, I'm going to lock you back up in it. Does this make sense to anybody but me? So if we take scripture as a whole, then we stop going, well, this verse says, I go, yeah, but what does the end say? Here's what I believe with all my heart. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the what? Beginning, and he's the end. Do we believe him? I do. So let's go to this next slide. All right. So Matthew 25, 46. This is probably the one with this, the sheep and the goats, right? You all know the story. And here's, here's the good thing. Um, 
uh, I don't know if shepherds really, you guys probably don't know any shepherds. Do you know any shepherds? Um, probably the closest guy we got here, Ramiko, you with your horses. If you're a good shepherd, you got a, an obstinate horse, and others that aren't obstinate, and you go, no, you're out, you're going to eternal torment. That's not a good shepherd. It starts out with the good shepherd. The good shepherd separates his sheep from his goats. And the whole idea is sheep hear my voice, and the goats do what? Obstinate, don't hear his voice. Don't listen, right? We could call mules or whatever in there. But he's still a good shepherd is what it said. And the good shepherd left 99 to go find how many? One. He's, he's, he's willing to leave 99 to go get the very last one. You are the coin that never lost his value that he went to go find. He's got to go find you. And you know what? He puts you back on his shoulders and he finds you. That's what scripture says to me. So, but anyway, he says, hey, the guys on the right, you did all the right things. You were taking care of the poor. You were giving water to the needy, etc." And what's fascinating to me is, is when they say that, the, the, the sheep go, we did? We had no idea whether we were even doing this. And then the goats, they said, but you didn't do any of this stuff. And so then it says this, you shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, there you go. It's hell. Right? It's eternal punishment. There it is right there. See how verses can get us mixed up if we don't know the end from the beginning and create it as a whole? So Young's little translation says it a little differently. These, the guys on the left, the goats, these shall go away to punishment age during or during this age and the righteous to life during this age. Now let's go to this next slide. Let's go into this everlasting punishment because this is where it really gets interesting to me. So everlasting is a Strong's 166. It's Aenio. Eons, like eons, where we get eons, right? It's age long. It means it's for a specific part of time. And so what happened is, is uh, I'm going to go through all the, a bunch of different scriptures about eternity and world and everything, but it's all the same word. An eon is a specific time. It's a, it's a, it has an end and a beginning, okay? And so it says, or partaking of the character which lasts for an age. Helps word studies, says it this way, an adjective derived from 165, Strong's uh, the root and age, properly age-like, age characteristic, the quality describing a particular age. So, does, does eternity make sense in these passages? So, when it was translated from Greek to Latin, they changed it from age to eternity. But the same word is used in this. Does eternity make sense? Matthew 24, 3. What will be the sign of, the, of your coming and the end of the age? But it's translated as world. But it's the, it's the Greek word, aenios, age. In fact, if you go look at Matthew 24, here's, here's what it, the whole Matthew 24, 25, which is all this is in, is, the, and you can go look it up in Luke, etc. and it's, it's really this whole time where the disciples are all pumped up because they think, hey, Jesus is going to come and he's going to restore Jerusalem as the capital of the world and, and, uh, and Israel's going to go, na 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 we were the right guys. And, uh, you know, but he was like, no, 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 you guys are missing this thing. You're trying to exclude people thinking you're the only guys, and you're supposed to be the salt of the world, the preserver of the world, and all nations are supposed to be blessed in your seed, but you're keeping the Gentiles out. Lazarus at the gate, who's being licked by dogs. We were dogs to the Jews. Does that make sense? And all the parables, it ends up differently than what you think. He's like, you're going to be the ones on the outside, and Lazarus is going to be on the inside of this thing. And you know what? You think you're the sheep, but you're, you're, you're the stiff necked that, that Scripture's always talked about. And you're hearing but never hearing, seeing but never seeing. And so the disciples are going, look at these beautiful buildings and the temple, etc. And what was Jesus' response? 
tell you the truth, every one of these buildings is coming down. And then they go, whoa, what is the sign of all this? What's going to be the sign that this is, and the end of the world is what King James translated it, but it's eon. What is the end of this age? Because at that time, guess what they, guess what they believed? They believed in an old age and a, a new age. There's going to be an old one and a new one. They all believe that. Hey, death, death happened and the, the, you know, all, all the Sodom and Gomorrah, the people in the flood, etc. all those people who didn't, we didn't, the 1040 window didn't work. We weren't, we weren't there yet. We didn't get them. So they're, they're done. Right? They're like at 2 a.m. when you get the munchies, you go into 7-Eleven, it's that hot dog that's just sitting there. And if you're in college, it looked really good. Right now, you're like, oh, God, you actually ate that? Yeah. It's great. So, you think they've been there for <laughs> Dave? No? You never arrested people like that, did you? <laughs> oh, you guys let me off a couple times, like, thank you, there's a Jesus. So, when I was a cadet, whew, you too, by the way. So, anyway, usually I got in trouble when she was with me. Isn't that true? Huh? She acts like she's so all. We were a mess, put it that way. Welcome to the club, all you guys. So, <laughs> yeah, but it was a fun mess. It was a lot of fun. So anyway, what will be the sign of all this that you're telling me, and what will be the, the end of this age is what it says. So Matthew 28, 20, I am with you to the end of eternity. Does that even make sense? Eternity doesn't have an end, does it? When's the end of both of those? When's the end of eternity? See, age, this age, this time period makes more sense if you translate it time period. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world. That's how King James says it, and it's the same word again. Be not conformed to this eternity. What? Galatians, I'm, I'm just, there's, there's 50 of these guys. I'm just giving you a couple because of time. Galatians 1, 4, deliver us from this present evil eternity. It's age. It's a time period. So 1 Corinthians 10, 11, they were written for our admonition upon which the ends of the eternities have come. And that, that's there, it says, the ends of the t ages have come. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant abutted against each other, and there's a 40-year period in there. There was always a 40-year period. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, and they wandered around for how long? 40 years. When, when, when Jesus came out of the River Jordan, how many days did he go out into the wilderness? 40. So there, the ends of the ages, there was a time where the Old Covenant was fading away, where there's an Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The kingdom of heaven was at hand, but the Old Covenant was still there. They were still sacrificing, but Jesus tells them there's going to be an end to this age. Everything you see here is going to come down, and some of you guys will not taste death until you see this. I Meaning it's going to happen in your generation. And it, did it happen? It happened in the wars of 80, 67 to 70. It, that all happened. And so, but there was an end to that age. Now there's never been a lamb ever sacrificed ever again. When the temple was destroyed, they've never sacrificed a lamb again. It was the end of that age. It's over. But there was a 40-year period in there where they were warning them, warning them. And Jesus even says, hey, the, the day and the hour, nobody knows. But you get down to, to 1 John, and what does he say? Now is the hour. Hey, it's happening now. And it happened right after that. Revelation was the same way. So Hebrews, you know, the, un the unpardonable sin and all these things, he's telling them. He said, listen, you guys are the elect. You guys are supposed to be the first in this deal. But you, just like the, the, your, your ancestors in the, in the wilderness, you wouldn't believe it, so you wouldn't go into the new covenant. And he says, how much more, if, they, if you could be uh, 
left out by two or three witnesses, how much more if you trample on the blood of Jesus? He's not telling them you're never going to get to heaven. He's telling them it's going to be hell on earth because this whole old covenant system, man's ways of trying to get to heaven, they're going to come to an end and you're going to be stuck. And Peggy, I found it was in Luke, Luke 20, when you were going, when I always say, as soon as you see the Romans surround Jerusalem, get out of Dodge, she was like, where is that? I go, I don't remember. But uh, I went and looked it up for you. It's, it's Luke 20. It's in the story there where he says, listen, and Daniel prophesies about it, where he says, listen, the, 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 the country who's going to cut off the Messiah three and a half years into the last seven, when that prince surrounds everything, you know it's time. Let me tell you a little parable. When you see the, the fig tree start to sprout, it's really, it's going to happen this year. So he said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by, these, by the prince of this country who knocks off the Messiah, three, sorry, I just say, kills, knocks off, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, when, you, when you see him cut down in the last seven, halfway into it, get out of Dodge. It says, get out of Jerusalem. And it says, man, pray that it's not a Sabbath. So is that applying to you and I? We don't follow the Sabbath, right? Why did they say pray that it's not on the Sabbath? Because you can't get out of town fast enough. You can only walk like a quarter mile or whatever it is on the Sabbath. We're not even in this deal. And yet we've created whole theologies, whole book series, left behind everything from this. It doesn't make any sense. He's telling this gen- this, everything that I'm telling you is going to happen in this genia, this generation. Generations were 40 years. In this 40-year period, when I prophesied, when I came into Jerusalem exactly at the 69 weeks, there's going to be another seven-year period. Um, and I'm going to be cut off three and a half years into that. And who was, was Jesus cut off exactly three and a half years into his ministry? Yes. Yes. And then when they saw Jerusalem surround it, get out of here. And I love the typology of it. I've told you, all the believers, what Josephus and all these different writers of that time period said is, all the believers that believed what Jesus told them, they went and they weren't, they weren't killed in eighty seventy war, and they went and survived in Petra, and they left on eagles' wings. Fascinating, isn't it? Anyway, that's not even part of this. But anyway, so that's what he was talking about, the ends of the ages. All right, let's go. You guys doing okay on time? I'll get you out of here fast. All right, so let's go look at those words, eternal and punishment. So punishment is, if you go look at uh, the Greek word, it's Colossus, it's Strong's 2851. If you look at Colossus, it's, it's punishment, torment, all the things that we think of um, about that. Now, what's, what's interesting to me is it's from Colazzo. The root word is 2849, Colazzo. And here's what Colazzo means. The first definition of colazzo is to properly to lop, to lop off, to prune as trees. Now, if you prune something as a tree or a bush, are you trying to eternally punish it? What are you trying to do? Cut some of it off so it actually bears more fruit, right? To check, curb, restrain, to chastise, correct, or punishment. So to prune or cut off is always for the tree's benefit, not to punish the tree forever. So that's where the root of this word colossus comes from. And now, doesn't this fit with Romans 11? Anybody know what Romans 11 is? Israel was the branch that was cut off. Doesn't that make more sense? Hey, listen, um, if you're the goat nation and you're not willing to listen to me, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be cut off for a little bit. You're going to be cut off in this age, and those who believe are going to find life in this age. And that's exactly what happened. The believers lived throughout that age the the unbelievers most of them unfortunately the jewish leaders who is who is warning them you're going to get thrown into the gehenna fire the garbage dump which was right outside of jerusalem you're going to be worth nothing that's where the worm never dies and the the fire just keeps going because it's just burning garbage and the maggots eat bodies until there's no flesh left 
And that's why he says, guys, it would be better for you to listen to me and get your eye plucked out or your hand cut off and live versus get thrown into Gehenna fire. Because all of you is going to be consumed there by the maggots. Does it start to make sense? It wasn't that this eternal damnation, because if we really believed that, we'd be, we'd be the, the knight, let's say, right? Right? The black knight, right? Yeah, it's just a flesh wound. If we really believe, if we, see, if we, I see so many Christians, they go, well, that, we, we can't take that part literally, then you can't take the other parts literally either. If you're going to pick and choose which parts you can, that's what we got into the arguments with the elders all the time, like, you guys, elder and smelder, none of this makes sense to me. You got me more confused after going to your Bible study than ever. We only lasted like two or three Bible studies ever with these guys, didn't we? Okay, come to this, and we'd come, we'd come with our little student Bible, like, this is a waste of time. You guys don't know anything. Now, some people did, but there was very, la- here's what I found. Nobody loved people. There was no compassion. There was always like, well, the Bible says. I'm like, well, but I'm going Anyway, that doesn't help me when I'm in this situation. It doesn't help me. So here's what Romans 11 says. You see if it makes more sense if it means to be cut off for an age, but eventually all Israel will be saved. They're all going to be grafted back in is what he's telling you. He's like, don't get a big head is what Paul's telling them. Your root is Israel. And they were lopped off for an age, Colossus for an age, Right? But if they're, I'll read it to you. I could summarize it too, but I'll screw it up. Actually, it would probably make more sense if I summarized it, my Popovichism. Most of you finally go, oh, I get it now. So Romans 11, I'm going to start in 11. Here's what it says. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. So if they didn't say the magic words and they were cut off for eternity and to go into everlasting punishment, is there ever going to be saved again? No, no. So he's, he's telling, hey, hell is for a reason. It's to correct them, and, and correction, the hellfire, is to purify them. But I, I, what he's telling them, he's like, I'm not cutting them off for eternity and going to punish the Jews. That's not what he's telling them. He's saying, uh, unto the Gentiles, for you to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them became the riches of the world, the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Meaning that if they were cut off for an age, how much more beautiful and powerful is it going to be when all Israel is redeemed and back in? That's what he's trying to say. For I speak to you as Gentiles, and as much as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke them to emulation, meaning believe like he believes, my flesh, and, and I might save some of them from the For if the casting of the way of them be the reconciling of the world, all nations instead of just Israel, right? What shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? There it is again. For if the first fruit be holy, the first people who were saved, Jesus and some of the people that were in the grave, the lump is also holy. So if you, I want to teach this one of these weeks. The feasts are so beautiful when you understand it out of salvation where the, the first fruits represented the whole harvest, all nations. And he goes through the different things. Because then there's the first fruits, there's the Pentecost, and then there's the feast of feast at the end when the whole harvest comes in. And that's why it says in, in different scriptures, it said, listen, everybody's going to be saved, but first in this order. First the first fruits, then these. Throughout the, throughout the age of ages is what it says. Eons and eons. All right. So, and if some of the branches be broken off, 
and thou being a wild olive tree, when you're grafted in among them and with them are the partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if the boast, but if you boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Meaning that, hey, you were, Israel was lopped off for a little bit, but that's not to, there's not a, a transfer where, hey, the church, the church has now become the real Israel. That, that's not his point. The elect was always there for a purpose, but if they didn't do their purpose, I'm going to find somebody else for the purpose. But in the end, they're still going to be saved. For God spared not the natural branches. Take heed, lest he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, in which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise you shall also be lopped off. Forever? No. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted back in, for God will be able to graft them in again. For if thou... See, if we saw that they were cut off for an age and they were forever damned, how is he going to graft them back in? For if thou were cut off by the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, meaning you and I, how much more, I love as much more, shall these which be natural branches be grafted back into their own? What he's saying is, if I was able to take you guys, when you were dead in sin, I reconciled you, is what it said. When you weren't part of the covenant, and I was able to graft you in, how, it's going to be a lot easier to graft in the people who were part of the covenant. You guys get it? That's what he's saying here. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It's a mystery. Mysterion. Lest you should be wise in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, so that all Israel shall be saved. Does that make more sense? Now, even if it is, even if it is uh, punishment, chastisement, which is, is a torment, etc., when you, when you see that it's an age, he said, listen, you're going you're gonna to receive torment in this age. Did the, did the Jews who stayed in Jerusalem receive torment? Yes, they did. So whether it's cutting off or torment, both of them fit, but it's not forever and ever and ever it's for the age. You guys get it? Okay. So to prune or cut off is always for the tree's benefit. That's Romans 11. That actually fits. Scripture starts making sense. All right, next slide. And we're almost done. You guys good? So a better translation of Matthew 25 is this, in my opinion. These shall go into age-long pruning, or these shall go into age-long correction, chastisement. You're going to be corrected in this age, but you're going to, all Israel will eventually be saved, is what Scripture says. Well, how can they be saved if they were the goat nation and they were into everlasting punishment? Get out of here, you goats. You're done. You didn't say the magic words before you died. You're out. That is not what Scripture says. That's what, we, that's what all of our teaching has taught us. And you know what? It torments people. I didn't get to them in time. Listen, anyway, all right. Okay, next slide. Do these scriptures start to fit? That's all I'm asking. For God did not send his son into the world, creation or cosmos, to condemn the world, but that the world, the cosmos, creation, through him might be saved. And Jesus said in, in Isaiah, he said, I am the word of God that came to the earth, just like the, the, the snow and the rain, and I won't return void, but I will accomplish why I was sent. Why was he sent? To save who? Creation. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die. This is what we were getting after the elders about, and they could never tell us. How in the world can a, a, a physical man be more powerful than God himself? If, if the first Adam was powerful enough to make us all die... And that was the warning. And the, the guy goes, I came to give life. Isn't he, can't we make him just at least as powerful? Was that fair? That Jesus was actually a little bit more powerful than Adam. Is that, does anybody doubt me on that one? Then let's just try that. 
So even so, for as in Adam all die, which is the types and shadows of good things to come. So when, when the old covenant caused death, what happens in the new covenant? It causes life. It conquers death. So even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Only the guys who said the words. It doesn't say that. It says all were in Adam and how many are in Christ? In the same way, even so, all shall be made alive. I don't know. But each one in his own order. This is what I was talking about. The first fruits, then the, then the, the, the Pentecost harvest, then the harvest of the harvest, the last of the, the feast. Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And that word coming is perusia, it's his nearness. Guess what? When, when you're thrown into the lake of fire, it says you're in the fire that purifies and restores everything it touches. That would be a nearness, wouldn't it? But we, we translate it as coming. When's he coming? I don't know. But when we understand that it's nearness, when you get close to him, when you see unconditional love, which says we're all going to go there, we're all going to see him at his mercy seat. And you know what? Some of you guys are going to experience life, the rest of you guys are going to need to be cleaned up a little bit. That's literally what it says. So Christ the first fruits, afterwards those, and he's telling you which, how is this going to be made? All will be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, first those who are Christ at his nearness or coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's the last enemy. Did he say he's conquered it? He's got the keys, is what he said. I've conquered it at the end of Revelation. For he must reign till all that happens, the last enemy will be destroyed is death. If you go down to verse 28, now when all things are made subject to him or under, under his authority, then the Son himself will be subject to the Father, who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, the, first, the second church council with Greg of Nicaea in, in, in AD 381, where they elected him as president, he believed that all was in all. Hey, all died in Adam, in, if we take it in context. But guess what? He's gonna, he came to save all creation, and it's going to be in an order. Some guys are going to believe right away, some guys aren't. But eventually, I'm going to subdue all, and you give it back to the Father. So that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Now that is what scripture says. Um, boy, the religious leaders. Mm. <laughs> Gnashing of teeth means I'm mad as all get out about that. Because I'm telling you, if you take away torment and fear for most religions, you got nothing. And here's what I know. Love never fails. It's a lot easier to win them with honey versus the stick. It says the goodness of God leads them to metanoia, not his hellfire. Hellfire causes fear. And in 1 John it says, listen, he, perfect love casts out fear. If you still have fear, you're not, you haven't been perfected in love. You're going to have to go through the fire and see me as unconditional love, and it's going to burn away all wrong thinking, all man-made stuff, and all that's going to be left is me. And I'll sit here forever, is what it says, but eventually it says every knee shall bow and confess that he is Lord. Every. Isn't that fascinating? So, and this is where it really gets interesting to me, though, because everybody's arguing about this universalism, etc. Technically, I'm not a universalist, because universalists mean all roads lead to him. It doesn't matter what you believe. I go, no, it matters a lot what you believe. It says the only way you're going to get to him is through Jesus Christ, period. I'm not, I'm, what I believe is I'm making his blood and, and death and resurrection bigger than Adam. You're making Adam bigger. Adam got everybody, but Christ couldn't. He failed. What about man's free will? 
He says, I do as I please. I could go through all those scriptures. Listen, if my God, was my arm too short that I can't save you? I'll go pursue you to the ends of the earth until I find the last sheep. Eventually, you're going to submit. I'll pursue you forever because my love endures forever. And I'm going to convince you of my love for you. I believe that. I just believe that. So anyway, last, last slide I think it is. So eternal punishment is not unending punishment. It's nowhere in scripture. If you unravel some of those verses and you're really supposed to see it's age-long torment or age-long pruning, which I believe that's the, actually the correct translation because it makes sense throughout scripture. Hey, they were cut off for an age, but all Israel will back eventually be grafted in. So, and does it say this, is that the gates of hell have not prevailed. Doesn't scripture say that? The gates of hell have not prevailed. No, yeah, they have, because my uncle didn't say it. He's there. We used to believe that kind of nonsense. I remember being at funerals like, man, do you think they were a believer? Oh, God, that would suck. And I mentally never felt right. Like, what? How, how would he save a wretch like me? Because when I was 13, I did a confession of faith. And I know in my heart, I'm like, that did nothing for me. If that was it, what? Didn't it say that some died and he had to go down to hell to preach to them? So it's not when you take your last breath, it couldn't have been. How, and in fact, if you go to Revelation, it says all Sodom and Gomorrah will be restored. It says all the people that died in the flood will be restored. Well, how? How? Why I wasn't there yet? Now, am I against any of that? No. But you know what? We'd get a lot better results if we convince him of the Father's love because, as we've talked about, there's other religions, etc. In fact, most Christianity teaches torment. And they're angry. They're gnashing of teeth Christians that, I'm like, because, listen, none of that would have saved me. I, you couldn't, I'm like, no, no, I grew up in church my whole life. You guys aren't going to do it. I've seen you guys. You guys. And, I, and I, we talk about this a lot. Hey, I was a single mother, seven kids. And I used to dread the elders meeting. Anybody ever have those? Oh, God, the elders are coming to the house. What? Can I leave? Nope, Michael, sit down. <laughs> what a waste of my time. I got to sit there and act like I like these guys? And the, you, know what I, you know what I struggled with? I'm a single mom, seven kids, and all they're going to do is complain that my mom's not in church enough. She didn't have time. She has seven kids, and I'm one of them. She really doesn't have time. I'm a mess, man, right? I'm fired up about life, and she's got seven of these guys. I just remember thinking, why don't you help her? If you guys are so holy, why don't you help her versus complain we're not in church enough? Why don't you love her versus condemn her? I remember thinking that growing up. I've told you those stories. The man, my, my, my church is like footloose where I grew up. Can't do that. That's not, you can't play cards. Oh, that's of the devil. So I don't play cards to this day. I'm like, oh, whatever. So, uh, fear not. There he is again. Fear not. I have the keys of hell and death. Hades and death is what it says in Greek. So 1 Timothy 2, 4. Do we believe this? Here's what he says. Who will have all men to be saved? Is our willpower stronger than his willpower? I don't think so. I don't think so. It says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave him ransom, himself ransom for all, which will be testified in due time over the ages and ages. I just believe scripture says, it goes, all will be made alive, all died in Adam, all will be made alive in Christ. Now, am I saying that they don't go through construction and chastisement and, and hell? I go, no, I think they do, but love 
finally gets them to believe the truth about who he actually is, that he's a loving father. Now, can I say that? I can, I can say that all will be made alive and all are going to meet him. Now, can I say that without a doubt uh, that they're going to accept his love? I can't. But how many of you guys think we got a pretty good shot? When they see unconditional love without the veil, they go, man, it's the first time that I've met unconditional love, and it burns away all the wrong thinking. I believe that's when every knee bows and confesses him as Lord, because nobody can say that except by the Spirit. That's what I believe about hell. I'll never, I'll, I won't talk about it again. I believe it's real, I believe it's a, but I don't believe it's eternal, because I don't think Scripture says it's eternal. And I think it's for a correction. Israel went through every, all, if you go look in the, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, not, nothing there about eternal punishment. Not there. First 600 years of Christianity wasn't there. And you can go study that out yourself. It really came in. The Latin church said, you know what, let's, we, we want to control some people. And let's scare them and then take the Bibles away so they can't read it for themselves. The Dark Ages. Amen? And then Martin Luther came back, got some of it back, but they still kept in a lot of the eternal punishment, torment, and the wrong translation of the sheep and the goats, in my opinion. So that should help some of you guys, though, because here's what I believe at the end of the day. I wrote some of this down. Because, see, if we take the book as its whole versus verses, there's only a couple verses that ever send somebody to eternal punishment. I don't think they're translated correctly the more I've studied this out. So here's what Scripture said. You can get to your feet. We're, we're done. So um, here's what it says. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. A lot of you guys have this on your wall. You bought it at Mardell's. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a confident expectation of good, hope, right? And love never fails. He goes, hope, hope's, hope's there, but once everybody meets eternal love, all that's going to be left is love. You'll need hope anymore because you're going to have it. That's what that scripture means. Only if you say the words. No, let's take it as a whole. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He goes, you know what? I've got good news. I've conquered sin and death. You don't have to fear anymore. Because all your life is what scripture says. You had the fear of death. But I've conquered that. Now you can, every one of you can expect that you're in me. And I came to save you. I didn't come to judge one of you. I came to save all of you. And that's my willpower. I'm going to get you is what I think he's saying. You can run. It's going to be torment for a lot of you guys, but in the end, I get you. And all will be in all, and I restore everything back to the Father. So no matter what the situation you're in, God is for you. We all read that in Romans, right? If God is for me, is God for you? Yes, he's for all humanity. He says all nations through this seed are going to be blessed. He says it five times in Genesis. All nations are going to be blessed. All nations are going to be blessed. Not just the elect, not just Israel. All nations are going to be blessed, right? And now every promise is yes and amen. That's the good news about the gospel. See, I believe this is if we can take the fear out and actually try, try evangelize and convince them of an unconditional father's love, we get a lot better results than if you don't say these things, <clears throat> you're going to go burn. The world can't handle that. They go, my God wouldn't do that. And we see the ones who do, whether it's fundamental Christianity, fundamental Muslims. Guess what? Guess where all the wars are starting? People who believe their way to get to Jesus, what they call it, is right, and they're zealous enough, they have burning anger, works of the flesh, anger, murder, strife, all the different things in Galatians, guess what? Unless we start teaching them, you're in, you're already loved, Jesus loves you perfectly, that's why he came, not to judge you, he's not going to send anybody there, he wants to, he'll go to the ends of the earth and pursue you until you realize he's loved you all this time, I believe that's what scripture says from start to beginning, from, from start to the end is what I mean. You know what, that is a much better gospel which starts to give them peace at the end of the day. And it's not us versus them, you're in and I'm out and I need to convert you. 
I just believe that with all my heart. Anybody else with me or no? You want to stone me? So if you want to stone me, that's all right. I just, I have a hard time with that. So Father, we just thank you that. It's the first thing, first time it's like scripture makes sense to me that I could justify how can you be the, the perfect love, unconditional love of a father and yet you would create billions and billions of people of humanity knowing that they were going to spend their life in eternal punishment. You would never do that. And that's, that's where our head and our heart just don't, they don't work. So Father, we just thank you that the true gospel, that you are the good shepherd that pursues the last one. You'll leave the 99 to find the last one. You won't leave any. We just thank you for that. Oh, so then we, all we've got left is life. We've got, you came to give us life and life more abundantly. That's why you came. So we just thank you for that, Father. So let this just deepen their heart. Just remove all fear because perfect love casts out all fear so they can finally think straight again, that their mind isn't cloudy from, man, what if my aunt or my uncle or my mom or my husband? No, you know what? We've got hope for them. We can, we can, we can put them into the hands of a loving father that's going to love them unconditionally. We just say thank you for that. Father, we just thank you that these supernatural things happen in their lives. Your love just does amazing things. Just start healing their hearts, start healing their minds. Just, you know, any, any schizophrenia, any, any wrong thinking is just cleansed and cleaned up and they start to be sozo, they start to be healed from the inside out. So then they can really start to believe and trust you that you died so they can have a great life, that they can have life and live it more abundantly. They don't have to worry about torment and fear and all these different things that traditional Christianity has taught them, you love them. And every promise is yes and amen. So Father, we thank you for supernatural things, like I said, especially during this Christmas season. When there's stress, etc. restore marriages, restore, rest- I don't know how you're going to do it, but you do stuff. And you're good at it. And so I just say thank you. I just pray with all my heart. Just touch these people with your love, your compassion, everything you got. Just touch them. Just start healing their hearts right now. Restore husband to wife. Restore wife to husband. Restore kids to their families. If they're wayward, just let them trust enough that parents love them to come back. Father, we thank you for supernatural things in their jobs, in their professions, their careers. Life just start to explode again, that they can trust you, the all-loving Father. In Jesus' magnificent name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to read from Ephesians 1. And let me guys know there's an old covenant and new covenant, right? And when Jesus, he broke the bread, and it's really a, a covenant meal where he said, hey, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood. Two have become one. And I think uh, we really don't understand that, that two really have become one. And so we're one with him is what it says. It's, it's a fascinating thing. And so it says, it says this, grace be to you and peace from our God, our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So it's a done deal. It's a reality right now. Does that make sense? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. According, he has chosen us. This is the, this is the one where I think if you really get this, this is, this is interesting to me. According, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the creation. So before man ever fell, we were in Christ. That was the plan. Isn't that interesting? It was never plan B where, hey, they sinned, because that, that's what we were all taught, right? You sinned, and okay, now God's, God's got to clean up our mess. The more I'm understanding, I'm going, whoa, whoa, it was never plan B. 
this was his whole plan. He goes, the six days is really us, our, our earth walk. And he completes it on the seventh for all of us, not just creation in general. He goes, then everything's done. So according, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, set apart. That doesn't mean you never, how many guys have never messed up? Because I think that's what people think is holy, right? That's how I was taught growing up, is you got to be holy. And that just meant you could laugh when you were outside, but once you came in church, you couldn't laugh anymore. And, or whatever. Couldn't chew gum or whatever. It's just silliness. Holy, holiness, you're so special that I chose to have you as children. I set you apart. You're unique to me. It's really what holy means. Set apart. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You had nothing to do in this thing. All we do is realize what's already been done. Before the foundation of the world, we were in him, is what it says. And that was his plan all along, so he could treat us as sons and daughters in the kingdom. Does that make sense? And so I think, guys, you can just get your hopes up. It's, that's really all it is, is, you know what, Lord, what, what did Jesus die and go to Sheol or hell or Hades is what it says, but then rose for our justification. Why would he go through all that mess except for if it wasn't to make his sons, to make us fully restored in his kingdom and every promise is now yes and amen. And I think that's where it's just, for so long people have thought I gotta be good enough, pray enough, do this enough, do this enough, get into my Bible enough. And it's like, no, before the foundation of the world you were children in him. That was his plan all along and he wants to just bless you with every spiritual blessing he has. So I just think, get your hopes up, guys, for whatever it is, whether it's family, whether it's, it's finances, it really doesn't matter. Every, every promise in him is yes and amen. So Father, we thank you for supernatural things. I know I say that a lot, but gosh, you just have shown us that so many times in our lives that we can't produce it, but our expectation almost brings it about. It's really an interesting thing. So Father, get their hopes up. That if it's never worked before, it works this time, because that's who you are. They don't have to earn it. You made them and predestinated them as sons that was your plan all along so father we thank you for miraculous things in their life that there's just strange things that happen to your kids that the world can't understand father we thank you for supernatural things in their jobs their businesses restoration this time of year family your relationships things that are just a mess just fix it that's what you do just get your love and compassion deep in their hearts that they realize that's who you are you're not judging them for anything there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus that you just want to give all your gifts freely we just say thank you that they can get their expectations up this time of year they can expect these miraculous things to happen and you always say yes that's my job that's what I love to do so we just say thank you that we are joint heirs that two have become one and we're in the new covenant the heavenly Jerusalem right now in Jesus magnificent name you can come up and take communion